It's a sunny day in Villa de Leyva, Colombia. I'd come over the night to get away from the smoggy capital, Bogota, where I'm currently living and teaching English. It's a four-hour coach journey away, and I was obsessed with how clean the air is there. <sighs> the air, man. How many times am I going to repeat how much I like the air? Villa de Leyva is this picturesque colonial village in the mountains. Most of the town's streets are pedestrianised, the highway is nowhere close by, and there's no big industry here. So the air really is very clean. Is there a way I can like store up all this oxygen and just breathe way more than usual? So when I go back to the bog, I've got some reserves. So wandering around the town, I tried to walk further and further away from the people and more into this green, luscious nature. At one point, I stumbled across a brook and I turned and simply followed it. I've stumbled upon a babbling brook because I walked off a main road just a minute away and I feel like I'm in the countryside. Does this mean I'm a huge city girl? Probably. But it's just so beautiful and green. Bogota, where I live, has some of the highest pollution rates in the world. So I was just a bit overcome by all the oxygen that was filling up my lungs. All I really was doing was walking as far out of town as possible. Not any paths. I was in this ankle-deep grass, just following my nose towards the most amount of green possible. Which, perhaps, is not the smartest thing to be doing in Colombia. I'm not sure how much you know about Colombia's reputation. It's gotten quite a lot of negative press for being... Mm, somewhat unsafe. Bienvenidos, welcome to this reporter's special, an edition dedicated to our colleague captured and held by the FARC rebels in Colombia for 33 days. That was a 2012 report. Since then, kidnappings have drastically declined as the armed guerrillas have disbanded. But everyday crimes such as muggings are still astronomically high, which is why it was probably not the smartest decision for me to have wandered into the wilderness outside Via de Leyva, totally alone. Of course, this didn't really hit me until it was much, much too late. And there are some men behind me, which is not an amazing sign. Hopefully I'm just being paranoid about it. Behind me were three guys. I'd say mid-twenties, laughing at a joke one of them had just told, all quite decently built, with a big, big dog attached to a lead. Now, for the record, I love dogs. I'm a big dog lover. But I really was in the middle of nowhere by myself, standing out quite clearly as a tourist. And I just thought, I've given myself perhaps the worst deck of cards if this is to go south. I'm not sure if I sound panicked in this recording or not, I was trying very hard to not assume the worst and play it cool. Just being in the middle of nature is lovely. But I do have no clear path of where I'm going and the men are behind me, so I should probably turn around. I thought about doing a wide loop to head back to the town. That way I could avoid the men and still go back to relative safety. But I hit a snag. And we're at a private property sign. 
I'm going to turn back. Yeah, I'd reached a dead end. So the only way I had to go was backwards. I turned. I faced the three men and their dog. And? And nothing. The men wanted absolutely nothing from me. I didn't even get a cat call or a jeer. One of them had a dog. I think perhaps I'm just in a Bogota mindset where you're constantly told to no dar papaya, which means literally don't give papaya, but figuratively it means don't make yourself a target. And I was thinking in my head, you've wandered off away from the main town completely by yourself with your expensive phone out talking in English in your weird clothes. <laughs> How much more of a target could you have made yourself? But nothing. They didn't even give me a second look. I mean, what did you expect? If I had been brutally murdered or kidnapped, I probably wouldn't be regaling you with this tale right now, would I? After all that, I just walked back into town. The town has got a lot to offer. Culture, attractions, things to see. Let me tell you about it. I'm Andrea Lucia Peters. This is Wherever I Land. And today's episode is about Via de Leva in Colombia. So people don't often talk about how disorientating living in a foreign country can be. Entire systems, transport networks that you were once so used to, that you used without a second thought, can become extremely confusing. The coach terminal in Bogota is huge. It's got about five terminals. And even though I think I speak pretty good Spanish, I didn't understand how everything was organized. So I was literally just walking up to every member of staff, every man or woman that I could see dressed in their fluorescent orange uniform, and I was asking all of them how to get to my destination, trying, hoping and praying that I would understand at least one of them. As the old adage goes, even a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. So eventually, after asking almost every booth and information desk for directions, I found a bus company that would sell me a ticket to Via de Leiva. I got a window seat. The route I'm on, Bogota to Via de Leiva, is described by Lonely Planet as one of the most popular weekend trips for people coming from the capital. And it's really not difficult to see why. Where Bogota is fast and loud and fun and smoggy, Via de Leva is slow, about two miles an hour slow, because you have to get everywhere here on foot, given the pedestrianised streets. Via de Leva is also very quiet. Aside from the Plaza Mayor, where traditional music bounces around, the streets that come off it, with their cobbled stones and small artisanal shops, are basically silent. Even the stray dogs seem super mellow, laying out on the stone streets and basking in the day's sun. There is also something to be said about the air quality here. Maybe it's all the vegetation that surrounds the town's outskirts, but more likely I think it has something to do with the altitude. Sivia de Leva is nestled in the Colombian Andes and sits at an elevation 
of 2,149 meters. That's pretty high. So suffice to say, between the backdrop, the whitewashed colonial stylings, the silence, and perhaps the lack of oxygen arriving to my brain, I was pretty overwhelmed. The mountains are just immense. There's like the terracotta little rooftops with all the, I don't know, higgledy-piggledy roofs when they're all orange. And then behind it is just the backdrop of the mountains and it's just next level. They're just immense. I can't even begin to describe. They're just covered in green. It looks like a short green, probably because it's like so cold here. It's not going to be rainforesty. What I'm trying to say here is that people often have this perception of Colombia as being really tropical, that all the nature forms part of a hot, broad-leafed rainforest. But the country really has a massive cross-section of biodiversity. And up here in the Andes, the trees more closely resemble those that you'd find in England's Lake District than the Amazon rainforest. Walking along the little cobbled streets, there's all these cute little tiny flowers and they're normally like pink and I don't even know how to describe them. They're like little stars and they open up and they tumble over the tops of the walls. The flowers were, for the flower buffs out there, Bougainvilleas. How are you, Shirley? I'm doing great. Good to have you here. We're going to talk about bougainvillea today. And so what is a bougainvillea plant? Bougainvilleas. Okay, bougainvilleas. In the recording, you can hear how I was trying to describe the precise way in which they just flop over the edge of the facades here. So that as you walk among the whitewashed buildings, there's just these constant, delicate little bursts of color. Pink, orange, red, and yellow, just peeking over the tops of the stone walls. And it just makes it look like you're living in the middle of a storybook fairy tale. This little town, however, is not just a pretty face. Villa de Leyva has a rich history that continues to define its essence to this day. The town's history, like much of Colombia's, has a huge line through it. A line that represents the shift in landscape and being. The contrasting before and after of colonialization. In the beginning, the indigenous people of this land were the Muisca. You've probably heard of the Aztec, Maya, and Incas. Well, the Muisca are described as the fourth advanced civilization of the Americas. Their economy was based on agriculture, salt mining, trading, metalworking, and manufacturing. All of this was enabled by their advanced language called Muscubun. The Muisca are thought to have numbered anywhere from half a million to three million, inhabiting the entire altiplano Cundiboyacense, also known as the Eastern Colombian Andes. Then, in 1537, the Spanish conquest began. The indigenous people that once inhabited the land were decimated. Today, in the entirety of Colombia, the Muisca are thought to only number 15,000. Compare that to the half a million to three million from before. Then, in 1572, the newly declared first president of the new kingdom of Granada, Andres Diaz Benero de Leiva, established a town named after himself in this high altitude valley of the Muisca. And Villa de Leyva 
Labour's Valley came to be. Via de Labour was constructed in the style of the time, with a grand plaza, cobblestone streets and Spanish colonial buildings. The architecture is marked by the contrast between the simple, solid construction demanded by the new environment and the Baroque ornamentation exported from Spain. The town was determined to be a location where officials could relax, hidden away in the Green Valley enjoying the balmy average temperature of 18 degrees Celsius. Over time, men of importance seeking a quiet life drifted into Via de Leyva, ex-presidents, painters, writers and retired army generals. Secluded from major trade routes up in the semi-deserted mountains, the town has undergone little development and its 16th century establishments remain largely preserved. Today, Via de Leyva is a popular tourist destination for Colombians and Europeans seeking to experience its famed tranquility and beauty, to walk the streets that have remained unchanged for hundreds of years. Yet as I strolled through the town, I noticed more than just a change in architecture that the Spanish had brought with them. The Muisca had followed a complex pagan-like religious system, complete with the sun goddess Sue and the moon goddess Chia. To the Spanish, this was inevitably perceived as heresy. And we all know how the Spanish feel about heretics. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition! So, the colonizers established one final element in their conquest of Via de Leva. Catholicism. It was interesting to go to the church for the first time in years. You heard me right. I hadn't been inside a church in years. I grew up Catholic, not culturally Christian like all my Protestant friends, whose parents were super liberal and chill. I grew up Latino Catholic, which meant I went to church almost every Sunday and did the whole confession, communion, confirmation thing. Sometimes when I was little and would trip up or bump my knee, my mum would ask me what I was doing wrong for God to punish me. She was only half joking. Then I turned 16, and with a little independence, and like many, many teenagers, I turned completely away from organised religion. But one morning in Via de Leva, I broke the self-imposed rule when I stumbled upon the Iglesia Nuestra Señora del Carmen, or Our Lady of Carmen's Church. Inside it was pretty simple, it was clean and it had this smell. I don't know how you describe a Catholic church smell, it was just kind of homey. And the walls were pretty minimal, it had wooden banisters. It just didn't feel like ostentatious, there was no service going on, speaking fire and brimstone. It was just, I don't know, it was just nice. It really was just nice and clean and quiet. It felt peaceful. I'd held my anti-entering church position for ages, skipping the ostentatious or famed churches that were deemed tourist attractions all throughout my travels. I would watch with contempt as my friends traipsed about the houses of condemnation as I perceived them. And then in this sleepy whitewashed town, when I was strolling about after breakfast, I broke that promise and I'm glad I did. Oh my god, this background music, this is so emotional. It was just so... It was almost, like, reassuring. It had, like, a familiar smell. 
it was kind of minimalistic, which is how like my church was. It was just really stripped down and just felt. I don't know how it felt. Travelling can sometimes feel vapid. Staring at towns or cities or art and expecting to be entertained or enlightened because the stuff is different than what you're used to. Nevertheless, in this little church, far away from the main plaza with the recommended church you're meant to visit, I had this real experience. Not with God, this isn't a come to Jesus moment, but with myself. I'd been holding on to this resentment of Catholicism, refusing to go into churches to my audience of exactly no one. But going into this church and not bursting into flames, letting myself have this positive experience left me feeling, yeah, left me feeling a little bit lighter. And there's a little kite attached to the cross, which makes it seem like they're flying a rainbow flag, which is (laughs) very cute. Strolling about afterwards, I was clocking the brown-robed monks that live in Via de Leva, noticing how the robes flapped in the mountain's wind like capes. I even sought out information on the Catholic orders in town. There's this order called the Barefoot Carmelites, or Carmelitas Descalzas in Spanish, and they can't, the females can't leave the monastery. Well, I mean, they obviously sign up to it, but then once they're in, they never leave. Um, As a sign of their devotion for God, they just stay in the monastery for their entire lives and never see anyone else. Kind of mental. I think growth is hearing about a nun's self-imposed solace and not calling them brainwashed in the next breath. Opening myself up and confronting my resentment, at least a little bit, is literally nothing but good for me. Resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. And at least more valuable than a checklist of must-see attractions from TripAdvisor. Don't worry though, I'm not becoming some super deep spiritual guru. Oh my god, two nuns, lol. I still say lol out loud. So I'm clearly still a complete and total loser. And just like that, before I even knew it, my weekend in Via de Leva was coming to a close and I had to get back to my job in the capital. It was home time. Wherever I Land is an independent production currently based in Colombia. This was the first and pilot episode. I do hope you'll stick with us. We'll be traveling to more places and improving the quality of the show as we go. Music for this episode was composed by Broke for Free, Alexander Nakarada, Twin Musicom, Kevin MacLeod, Dan Bowden, and Facundo Saravia. Various clips from across the internet have been included in the show and are licensed under Creative Commons or Fair Use. Get in touch. Email Island at gmail.com or leave a review on iTunes. It does really help sister out. That is all for now. I'm Andrea Lucia Peters. Have a great week.